0: Hey everybody, and welcome to Celebrating the Brand Ambassador, where we get down and dirty and reveal the secrets of some of the most outstanding career brand ambassadors, innovators, and brand owners in the cocktail industry. I'm your host, Elaine Duff, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe. Now let's get right into it and meet the personalities behind the brands you love.
1: Welcome everybody, welcome Gina and Kayla to the 22nd episode of the Celebrating the Brand Ambassador. What I love to start with is what are your current positions and responsibilities? So Gina, I'm gonna start with you. What is your current role? Sure, so
2: what do I do? My current role (laughs) is the Trade and Education Brand Manager for Canadian Whiskey, and I cover the U.S. market for that, and really, what that and what the heck does that mean? What does that entail? We, I, I work for Corby Spirit and Wines in Canada, and, who has a fantastic whiskey portfolio. You'll see. Right behind me. Very
1: There's nice. Done. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but in the U.S., we import to two different importers, so the, the portfolio is split. However, our educational strategy really is an overarching being the leaders in educating about the Canadian whiskey category. And that entails showing the breadth of styles within the category, which means our importers need to be at the Canadian whiskey table at whiskey fest together. And they need to, you know, be at our lamp site pop up at San Antonio cocktail conference or or whatever it may be, or any kind of online course that we've developed, you know, really having two entities that see each other as competitors working together, all ships rise, you know, high tide wow. here is, is our theory. So my role really is kind of an umbrella role of overseeing all the education that comes into the US from our, our company and how we want that presented. and you know, working very closely with our global ambassador, making sure that his time is spent in the right places and using, you know, all of his knowledge and and his strengths to their best you know use. But, you know, also if I have a, dis- they both have the same distributor in, you know, one state and they both ask us for GSM two weeks apart, we're not just presenting the same information two times in a row to the same group of people. So really, my job entails a lot of different things and a lot of logistics, a lot of scheduling, but really making sure that we're bringing the best educational material for each circumstance to present the Canadian whiskey
1: category. Which, which is great. Every brand ambassador should have a handler. <laughs> a handler. <laughs> You Dave, I mean, you have a lot of job at being Dave Mitten's handler. You really are. You are Dave Mitten's handler. I, uh,
2: I hope he's watching
1: and laughing. Yeah, and he loves you. He couldn't say nothing. He's like, I could not exist without Gina. So yeah, so yeah, which is fantastic. So you, you make all the world go around as most women do, keeping everything on schedule all the time and education. And I know from the amount of degrees that you have, I'm sure the education. I'm very excited. We'll talk about it a little bit that. Gina has an online training program that they created for Canadian whiskey, which is very exciting. But we'll talk about that next. But Kayla, you also have a interesting role. Like neither one of you have a traditional brand ambassador role. So Yeah. Yeah,
3: I technically my title is brand ambassador, but I was talking to you about how that kind of encompasses a lot of different things with Brown Foreman and especially just I've been with the team for over 4 years now and my role's changed a lot but right now I'm representing our Irish and single malt category as a brand ambassador but really acting as an extension of the brand team and our field marketing team and as a market manager so I'm responsible for typical brand ambassador things you know trade advocacy visiting accounts some sales and then also retail sales I work with the distributor very closely I work with our marketing team really closely and develop national programs and kind of cover the whole state and wherever else they might need me. I just did something in Seattle a couple of weeks ago, so all over the place.
1: So, oh, all hands on deck. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you, you really are doing everything with the kitchen sink, which, which is as I said yesterday, we we're talking about. It's a great experience because you are get you are able to learn new skills that you would not get in a traditional brand ambassador role. Like Gina and I, Gina, can she's worked at the same company I have, and you are very separated from the company, so. You don't get that internal exposure as much as you would like or the experiences. So uh, it's, yeah, exciting things for you, Kayla. It's a good, it sounds like a good place to be. So I always like to start off with like becoming a brand ambassador. I know it's been a, a little while ago, you know, always has its challenges. So because I think it's one of the hardest jobs when you first come on and within the first year, it's like there's a lot of things you kind of learn. So if you could remember like two or three of the things you found, you know, the most difficult, you know, the first few months in the job that you thought you realize now you wish you could pass that knowledge or you do pass that knowledge on to other brand ambassadors, like, hey, you should know this the first couple of months. This is what kind of to to expect or things that I learned the hard way. Gina, you want to go first?
2: Sure, sure. (laughs) Wow, there's so many. (laughs) (laughs) You're kind of thrown into the fire, you know, and like, good luck. But, you know, I'll start off with one of the best pieces of of advice. And I still use this piece of advice to this day. But when I got it from my boss, when I first started, you and Morgan, at the time at Diageo, I really had, I had no idea what he meant. And he did not go into explanation. And I didn't ask because I was scared out of my mind not of him, just like I had no idea what I was doing. So I just thought, okay. But what he said was, you need to learn to manage your managers. And I thought that makes zero sense. My (laughs) managers are supposed to manage me, tell me what to do. I go do it. Poop, bop, done. Right. But, you know, when I started with the master of whiskey program with Diageo, you know, I I was a, a whiskey ambassador and working for over 35 brands with hundred and something SKUs and deer and headlights. And I came to realize over time, which this took me way too long to realize, but I came to realize what he meant was you're going to have, you know, bullets brand manager and the single scotch scotch brand manager and this brand manager and Oh me, your boss. And, the, the distributor in New York and, you know, all these people asking you for a million things because to them, your priority is their brand or what they need done. They don't see all of your goals, all of your KPIs that you need to fulfill. They see what you need to do for them. And then they're suddenly like, well, why are you spending all this time on single mall scotch when I know you need to do all of these things for me? And so, you know, what he meant was you need to learn how to say no to people yep. or, you know, manage them in a way that is, you know, saying, look, my priorities right now is A, B, C. I cannot do that for you, but I can do that for you in two weeks or so-and-so might be able to do that for you. Let's reach out to them. Like helping them find a solution is a huge part of that Mm -hmm. as well. But, you know, really learning the priorities. And for me, that's the hard way. I have to learn things the hard way. So I had to say yes to everything and overextend myself like many people do in this business to learn what the priorities were when Mm -hmm. and how long things took me to execute them properly. But once you do, then understanding how to manage all the moving parts, I mean, that is a huge one
1: to me. Yeah, it's really that is definitely a huge one. And also being able to go to your manager. I, for me, I remember, you know, I had the same thing. I worked for the entire reserve brand portfolio. And, you know, so multiple different brands, you know, everybody's doing different things. And sometimes also having that conversation, like, Okay, I'm getting all these different requests, and sometimes I did have to go to my manager and say, "Okay, like I, this is the projects that I'm supposed to be working on. This is the request. Like, I actually need you to say no because I know if I say no, this person's not going to understand it. So you have to be. that's what I learned to use my boss for. It's like I need you to be the person in the middle. Like that's what an agency is good for. Like be the person that yeah. says the other person like. We would love to help you. And sometimes I could have that conversation. you saying like I, I could have the kind of giving them a solution, but sometimes another solution was going to your boss and saying, these are all my priorities. If I do that, I'm not going to be able to achieve what we set out to achieve. So what, right. what do you recommend? So uh, Kayla, have you had that same experience?
3: Yeah. You know, I was going to say, I think saying no, Was the first thing that I had to learn to be really good at because a lot of us are coming over, you know, from the hospitality side and we're yes people and you're not used to saying no, but setting those boundaries was a big thing for me. And I think the thing that resonated with me that my mm -hmm. boss told me early on, you know, in the best way, like at the end of the day, we sell alcohol. It's going to be there tomorrow. If you have to put something off, if you need some downtime, you know, you're just one person, you can't be in. 80 accounts at once. So, just setting those boundaries was, I think, the biggest thing for me coming over from the hospitality side.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's a big one setting those boundaries because they do start to expect things, and you do become the easy answer Mm -hmm. because they know you can, especially if you're good and, you know, like they know, oh, just give it to her. Like she's going to handle it. She's amazing at it, right? It's like, you know, give it to Kayla, give it to Gina. She's awesome. Like she'll just get it out of the park and they don't have to think any further. So it is, uh, to Gina, to your point, somebody is giving them other solutions, like, yeah, I I appreciate that you think I'm awesome, but I also have some other solutions <laughs> yeah. for you. And then I need
2: to be awesome at these things. I need
1: to, yes. but the <laughs> to be used in other, other, you know, other, you know, other, other places. You know, uh, Gina, I think I said to you yesterday, I was like, I was going to break it down, like how much they paid me. I was like, okay, so this is my salary, right? So the thing you're requesting me to do could be done by somebody who gets paid way less than I do. And really, only needs the skill set of that person. So, do you really want to spend me over there, or could I be doing something a lot more effective that you pay me for? And they were like, "Yeah, that's a good point." I'm like, "Okay, so let's find that person, you know." And and yeah, and that's it. It's not easy though, because I am a I'm a people pleaser. So, and I I'm like, you know, it's it, it's an argument I have to have myself and my husband often because <laughs> <laughs> he's like, just say no, and I'm like, God, it's so hard. But you do have to do it. It makes you better at your job when you do learn how to say that. It makes oh, yeah. you much better and focus on priorities. So, Kayla, do you have any life lessons that you learned when you first came on?
3: Oh, I think it's just like I could just trail off of this topic forever. <laughs> I mean, we've all been there. We have like our car load of whatever POS we have and boxes. And we're like, I can do this all myself. And I'm going to get to the event early and set up and do all these things. And then I find, okay, I'm stressed out and sweaty before my event. Maybe I should pay somebody to do this for me. me So it's just like all of these trickle downs of setting your boundaries, figuring out the best way, you know, you don't have to do everything. And I think that's initially when I, when you get into these roles and you're excited or it's something new and you're trying to, you know, do a good job, you think I'm going to do all these things myself. And really there's ways to manage your time better. And like we were saying, I get paid this and my really best utilized doing
1: this unpacking usually no yeah (laughs)
3: yeah
1: no yeah hiring staff is definitely something you know one of the lessons i started learning and it took me a few years i'm like well i'm an agency so they like outsource everything to me but i also know they use other agencies so i can literally just hire that agency like i have the budget so why don't i hire that agency too to do all the schlepping and all Mm -hmm. the stuff we're like we have sampler models and promotional models, and like you know, guys can do heavy lifting. So I would just add on an extra couple. Like you're just coming here a couple hours early just to set up, and I'll pay you for it because yeah, I shouldn't be the person schlepping the boxes.
3: Naturally, right. <laughs> excuse my car. Sorry, let me move this box of whiskey <laughs> to let anybody yeah. in the car
1: out of so the way. I'm in that
3: living space.
1: Exactly. I'll tell you a funny. Like one time, I was pregnant, I was seven and a half months pregnant. My last trip that I was traveling on, because you're not supposed to travel at that point, I shouldn't have gone, and I'm in South Beach, Miami, at South Beach Food and Wine, and I'm setting up the giant Ciroc event that we did every single year. It's About 800 people about to pile in to this, you know, the hotel, like the outside of this hotel, and it's raining. So it's an outside event. And nobody, because they're a union, will go outside. And I'm like, we need to start setting up. We need, like, it's going to stop raining. But if we wait until it stops raining, we're never going to be ready for this. And the only way I could get something done was I started, I was really pregnant. I started carrying boxes out the door. And they were like, oh, my God, you're going to give birth. I was like, I'm going to give birth right here if you don't start (laughs) moving (laughs) right now. They're like, all right. And they're like, oh my, no, no, no. I was like, I'm telling you right now, like this could trigger it. Like I suggest we get out the door. You have to do your job just to get people to learn and a little threats. It does, does go a, a long way. So any other challenge? All right, name one more. Jean, there must be one other thing besides that. Like one other challenge, like, you know, when you came on where you were like just freaked out, like you're just like, you learned, you're like, oh, I wish I knew that so much earlier.
2: Yeah, I mean... Like I said, you're kind of thrown into the fire in many different ways, whether it's admin or, or, you know, working on several brands or whatever it is. And, you know, one of the things when I first started was, again, so many brands in that portfolio and literally my first day, Bullet called me, the Bullet team called me, Couple days before I started, and said, "Hey, we have this tasting. We won this award, and there's a tasting. and Do you think it, you're starting? So, do you think on your first day you could do the tasting? Zero, <laughs> zero training on the brand. I'm so right. I was like, okay, yeah, because I'm starting, I'm not going to say no. Yeah, I can do that. So I, I just, you know, asked for every deck anybody had on bullet, read it myself, and said whatever bullet points that I had read, I said out loud. <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: And, and yeah, going but, back differently, would you said no, or you'd be like, yeah, I should never have done I that? I would
2: have said, you know, do you have, can we do a two-hour training or i do this you know but but really I guess what I'm getting at is like understanding that you know how to take in all this training all at once and and be utilizing it be presenting it very quickly it's a very quick turnaround knowing that when you start you're not an expert And people are going to ask questions. They still do to this day to me. And I love it. I didn't then, but I do now love it when people ask me questions that I don't know the answer to, you know, (laughs) then I was in a panic, but you know, you're not the expert. You're there to share the information you have. And if you don't have the information, you're going to find it for them and get back to them, you know? And like Kayla said, it's booze. Yeah. We're
1: not cancer. At the end of the day, we're right. not curing cancer. We're literally causing it probably at the end nice. of the day. <laughs> not dramatic, but no something said one of the other brand ambassadors said something really, well, actually, somebody said that they told them one of their mentors said to them, she's like, you don't need to know everything at once. Don't feel like you need to know everything at once. Most people you just need the four, the, the four most important facts like the mash bill, the aging, how it tastes in a Manhattan, and you'd be great. Like it makes an excellent Manhattan, and and for a consumer, they're like, great. <laughs> right. That's all I care about. What is this again? You know, <laughs> no, those those are great advice. And for you, Kayla, any any other ones that you? Yeah, kind of-
3: I think just, you know, stemming off of what Gina said, it's a lot at once from brand education and a myriad of other things, and just practicing a little bit of humility. I know, like right now, it seemed it's second nature to us, but I remember my first month and all the new jargon and all the acronyms and sitting there and going, yeah, totally. Got it. No problem. And then be like, (laughs) what the heck is that? Like I've never (laughs) heard of that. And it's just, it's just like whole new language that it's okay to admit I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Like, can you help me with this? Yeah. In the same way that it is with brand education. It's just like, it's a lot. And to, Feel that need to step back and say, I, "I don't know, but I'd like to figure it out." So,
1: yeah, can, can you give me a list of the translation of all the jargon that you're using? <laughs> and not every every brand uses the same jargon. That's what I've discovered. Because mm-hmm. I started putting together a list. Like, tell them what you what do you call your KPIs? Oh, KPIs. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what are those? It's
3: interchangeable. I know. And our we, our fiscal year is so different than everybody else's. So it's just.
1: Yeah, it, it, every place is different. Oh, Anthony, I didn't. Anthony worked at the reserve, the Potato Botanical launch in Connecticut. <laughs> 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 yeah, no pressure. But the entire the Diageo yeah. team. The <laughs> thing is, Anthony, you probably knew more than the people who worked on the brand about your own, that's about the brand. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure you found that out very quickly, too. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You probably had a lot more brand knowledge because that's not their job to know how their brand is made. Their job is to market it. So I learned that one too. I'm like, Oh, you don't know anything about the brand. <laughs> i like, oh, I get it now. I'm the expert. You're, you're no, you don't really know a lot. And, and that's true. of A lot of brand teams, some brand teams, actually the brand manager knows a lot, but I definitely have experienced many where that's not their job. That's not their role to be an expert on spirits. Their job is to be an expert on marketing. And it's your job to give them the education on the brand that they're working on. And I, did a lot of brand education for brand managers, which was great. Made me feel great. I'm like, oh, I have something I can share it to the to the team. But those are great. Those are all great. All right. So as, you know, I'm trying to put this in there. Okay. So your job, I was going to say, since you've both been brand ambassadors, you've obviously learned some different skill sets. They weren't just, you know, in the beginning, it was about education and training. But as you've grown in your roles, you probably have learned some new skill sets that are kind of helping you in your career now. So can you think about some new skill sets? That you didn't have before you came in the role that you're now using that you kind of learned along the way? Sure.
2: <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> the laundry list. Here we go again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I would say, you know, first of all, being open to the fact that in, in any job you take, hopefully you're going to learn new skill sets and advance yourself as an individual in your career, etc. But In this role, particularly, you know, you might be asked to stand on your head and balance a glass of whiskey on the bottom of your foot at an event. So you better start taking some gymnastics classes, you know, (laughs) like the, the craziest things might be thrown at you that you just never could see coming. But, you know, I would say, like, really career wise. On a day to day basis, I've become really good at PowerPoint. Lately, I am obsessed with creating QR codes. Like, that's all the latest and greatest. And Mm -hmm. I use those like crazy now. But, you know, on a bigger, you know, more overarching kind of thing, I've really learned to negotiate and for myself, you know, really when a company is changing paths and your program is dismantled and you might be offered a job within the new program or not, or whatever you're seeing, but you're starting to look for other opportunities. I have really learned how to, I've learned my own value and worth Mm -hmm. through time. That's taken a lot of time, but, and I've learned how to negotiate to, to be valued. And 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 the people who don't want to negotiate aren't really the people I want to work with. You know, I, they might not meet all my standards and I might not meet all of theirs, but if if we're not willing to work together to you know, come to the best result so that you know, not only I can blossom but but I can do them, you know, the best that I can do for them in the role. Right. So I, I really think that that's a huge one that I've learned is to really.
1: You can take any courses. Any books, did you like, or just something you've kind of taught yourself. Did you have somebody like.
2: Yeah. Ask just anybody? learning the hard way. I think like, oh, I should have crap. You know, oh, I should have asked for this. I didn't. Now yeah. I'm stuck doing this that I'm no good at and I'm not going to. Be successful at or whatever it is you know so so just kind of learning that like i said i learned things the hard way unfortunately so that's- and, and
1: there's a book i'm gonna it's something that, that philip told me and it's a great book and i I've, I've read it a few times well i've read the summary a few times because i'm a really slow reader it's a really good negotiation book because i have had to negotiate quite a few times. Th- Cause you do, you do have to stand up for yourself and you'd have to learn to frame things. Now I work as an entrepreneur, so I have to negotiate all the time. So framing is a big thing for me, like putting different prices and then like the one I really want kind mm-hmm. of in the middle. So to get people like this, what you could have with all the bells and whistles, and this is like the bare bones, and this is like smack in the middle. So mm-hmm. they feel like they're getting good value. But yeah, negotiation for yourself because nobody's gonna give you a raise unless you ask for it. Yeah. Right. Kayla, for you, like, I don't know. have you had the same experience with negotiation?
3: Yeah. And like an extension of that, I think the biggest thing for me has been communication and just the way I communicate overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, that's an important set when we're talking about sales and everybody. I mean, each buyer is so different, you know, trying to treat people how they want to be treated, not how you expect they want to be treated and those different personality types. But communication in general, just how little things I've found protect me as well in conversations. And so it's helped me even in like my personal life, as I've had- For
1: example, do you
0: have an
3: example? Yeah. Like my mentor, a woman, I'm so lucky to have so many incredible women on my team. And she's taught me a lot about communication styles and coming up in the business as a woman and just little things like saying, that's right, instead of you're right, can set you up to still be heard and taken seriously as a conversation moves forward without
1: being considered wrong or in that. Oh, that's a great, that's a great point. Yeah, that's, that's a good mm-hmm. one. Someone told me, don't don't ever apologize. Don't ever say you're sorry. Yeah. Like just. No. Thank yeah. you
3: for your patience.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> never, never, never say you're sorry. I try to I call that one because yeah, I'm, I'm looking over here like about the, the book, but yeah, I was going to say, no, that's a great one. That's right. Instead of saying, oh, you're right. That's really, that's a great point. I was going to say, Gina, negotiation wise, like what have you had to negotiate about?
2: Um, My contracts, I I negotiate them anytime there's a turn, you know, they put forward a proposal and Mm -hmm. I put forward a proposal (laughs) (laughs) and then we kind of counter back and forth (laughs) until everybody is, you know, relatively very happy and feels that we can move forward, you know, in in a good way together. Right. No, But, you know i had to negotiate maternity leave i was in a very weird stage at that time not that maternity leave well at that point i worked for an agency that didn't have a maternity leave policy because they had never had an employee that needed maternity leave (laughs) So i was like hey i i don't really want the supplier to know yet Nobody knows yet, but before we move forward with this, we need to talk about maternity leave. And so, I mean, that was a, it was a big one to, you know, yeah. for a lot of time paid yeah.
1: off, not working. Especially so. <laughs> just coming on, like, hey, by the way, in six yeah. months, I, I won't be here for like a good three, three months. No, it's a big, one of the things I learned was, I had the biggest contract I had to negotiate was when I left Diageo and I went to Anheuser-Busch. And I was negotiating with a recruiter, which I had never done before, and I was talking to a friend of mine because I was like, "This is you know a new territory for me," and going to such a large corporation. And she's like, "Let me husband look at it because it's what he does. He like looks at it. You know, some people this is what their expertise is. They know how to like look at contracts." And he was like, "Ask for a signing bonus." I'm like, "What?" He's like, "Ask for a signing bonus. Completely standard." I'm like. I am going to ask them to just give me money for no reason. And he's like, absolutely. You're leaving a company. You've been there for 15 years and they're asking you to leave and then come over to their company. So he's like, that requires you to get money. And I was like, I would never have asked for that. Like it was just something I asked for and they didn't even blink. They're like, yeah, of course. I'm like, wow. But they wouldn't have given it to me if I didn't ask for it. So it's like learning. So sometimes it does getting an outside for opinion sometimes be like, Hey, I'm in this middle of anything else you recommend, like, how I negotiate this because I might be able to get a better deal. Like, I, you know, having somebody more senior who may not work for the company but is a, you know, more senior executive has probably negotiated a few things in their in their time to be like, hey, this is what I'm asking for. What's the fair value? Is there any way I can structure this differently? That has helped me a lot in in my career. Just getting that opinion definitely got a lot more out of things. The worst thing I ever did, so if you ever get fired from a company, uh, I got let go at Anheuser-Busch, which all the entire my entire team is all gone. They dismantled it. But uh, always get a lawyer. That's the other thing I learned. Get a lawyer to negotiate your your exit package. I didn't do that. Other people did, and they got a hell of a lot more. So mm-hmm. <laughs> other things to think about. Um, Kayla, do you have anything else you want to add to that? Skill no, tip.
3: I think it's just, yeah, yeah, when we're talking about negotiating, like, I, at, again, I think it all kind of goes back to just, building communication styles, personalities. And then I found that, yeah, just ask anything I want. I just ask. And if it's no, well, there's a reason why. And can I build on that? Or usually I'm surprised like, yeah, here you go. So it's getting comfortable with asking and yes. putting myself first sometimes.
1: Yeah. Asking for what you want. It's hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. If you're coming from the hospitality industry and, and you're a yes person, you know, putting that forward, but if you don't ask, you know, you're not going to get it. And the worst thing they can say is no, but it, it is it is uncomfortable because you know you're asking for something big and you're not really sure what the response will be. But having the belief in yourself, like Tina said, that I'm worth it. Knowing what you're worth, like, no, but I am worth this amount of, of money. One time at MKCG, actually it was US Concepts, the original one. The uh, I, That was there that long that I went through three company changes and I was supposed to get a raise and then they were going through some financial stuff and I had just come from a women empowerment course, so I felt really good. I felt very empowered. And so I sat down with my boss, and he was like, yeah, so, you know, he won't only offered me, like, a 3%. like a st- I was like, that's a standard rate. So it's like, it's not worth you even giving me that rate. It's all going to go to taxes. And I said, are you still living on that apartment in Park Avenue, on 5th Avenue? He said, yeah. I said, you still driving that Porsche? He's like, yeah. And I was like, still have the house in the Hamptons? He's like, yeah. I'm like, so you're fine. I was like, so you can afford to give me the $10,000 raise that I'm asking for because I know you're fine. I was like, so you can tell me there's not a good time right now, but it's fine. You're still doing all those things. And he, they were like, he was like, and they found the money. He's like, "We'll figure it out." And they they found the money from a contract, and they gave him But I was like, I had to finally just call him on his shit. I was like, "That's bullshit." I was like that's the standard answer that every company gets. It's not a good time right now. I'm like, I, I think it is a good time right now because it doesn't seem <laughs> good time for me. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't seem to hurting you at all. It's not a good time for me, exactly. It's not a good time for me right now because I need to raise. <laughs> uh, all right, so Kayla, you or your job is more like a market manager than a brand ambassador, and which requires you to sell in, right? So, what are some of the key lessons you have actually learned of building relationships with your accounts and then convincing them to carry your product? There's some things, I'm sure, some skill sets you've learned in this role.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's been so weird because before the pandemic. The first lockdown, I was working on our bourbons, and it was strictly on-premise. So I never really had a full immersion into the retail world. And then the week before lockdown, I took this job and have (laughs) retail and on-premise, all in between e-commerce. So it was kind of a a shock going into the retail space during these times. So learning how to sell hand cell brands that people have never tasted before in a pandemic where you can't taste people and people might not like the prices. It was definitely a good first year of retail. (laughs) I learned a lot. And I think that in the retail space, something that I never really considered because coming from the on-premise, a lot of the things we do for the brands are based around like education and how does it taste and will it be good in these cocktails is a good price point. Is that brand building comes into play a lot into retail. If I can't figure out somebody wants to taste this or likes this. Maybe they'll like a part of the brand story or some of our ethos or something in our background in our brand category that will resonate with them. Slane is a really sustainable brand that really mm-hmm. helped in this time specifically with a lot of retail partners. Then so we have the ties to Slane Castle. So there were a lot of fans out there who were like, I didn't have any idea. I would love to carry this whiskey without ever tasting it now. Awesome. So, Yeah. So it's like focusing on, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to get caught up in like, how does this whiskey taste? As opposed to, we really are building a brand from a 360 perspective. So there's always some touch point that can help you sell. That's not the actual liquid itself.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And for building a relationship with retail, because I know every retail buyer is very different. There's, you know, the corner store guy who like, this is just a business to him. He doesn't really drink and Doesn't really care about spirits he just carries the popular brands that people come in and out and then there's the craft store guy and then or woman and or they and then they have the you know you have the chain stores which is a whole nother animal so you know building a relationship with say the corner store guy you know how how do you do that do you have have you had some experience doing that
3: yeah it's really i mean it's definitely different i think this is you know my husband jokes with me all the time but he's like i think this is the one Career, you found that being an empath helps you sometimes <laughs> like just being able to relate to people and kind of understand where they're coming from but also I think the biggest thing is follow through and being you know true to your word I know we've all probably went into an account at one point and somebody said well I, I don't work with them because the last person was a jerk or didn't prom- didn't follow through so just being present and following through and staying true to your word I find goes So far, which I think for some people is hard in these roles because you're managing your own time. There's Mm -hmm. no one saying, okay, you have to be there at 4 p.m. It's like, I need to go. I need to set the parameters for what this relationship is going to be. So it can be, it's a lot emotionally too. I mean, you know, this guy wants just a good price and he wants to be in there and buy it and sell it. And this person wants somebody to talk to on Friday nights.
1: And yeah, a whole range. Yeah. And one of the things, I mean, these days, like promising that somebody just wants a price, like, all right, I want a price and I want the free TV, you know, how do you support in the off-premise, especially, I mean, during COVID, it was probably a hard time to support.
3: Yeah, I think it was a lot of, you know, I think check-ins just being there for people went a long way. Even, you know, we would do, if we couldn't do a sampling, we'll just set up shop and do POS giveaways. We have a really nice engraving program that Mm -hmm. really helped a lot of places sell bottles Around the holidays, like for St. Patrick's Day, we helped so many retail accounts just move cases of slain they had been sitting on maybe from last St. Patrick's Day by offering, like, you know, we can engrave this bottle for free and just offering, like, things that we can legally offer to accounts without being able to sample them.
1: Yeah, wow, that's really cool. Gina, do you have to deal with retail at all?
3: I,
2: I don't really. I do on the education side of retail, you know, whether it's we have a program coming up this next month with a few large national accounts. So, you know, it's really kind of working with Dave and our master blender to make sure that they have all the information that they need to, you know, they've they've committed to a specific program and a specific amount of cases. So we want to make sure that they have the information that they need and, and their staff is fully educated so that they could sell that product
3: mm-hmm. you know
2: and that's really where my role with retail fits in there also you know i work on things like just starting to work on things like neck tags and shelf talkers uh, because we want them to be less <laughs> just marketing the agency material people who don't know our brands more this is the this is canadian whiskey this is mm-hmm. what you should know about it, you know, and so really coming, you know, approaching those assets from an educational standpoint versus a marketing sales standpoint, really letting those two kind of come together.
0: Yeah.
1: Is that where you're using the QR codes to put them on? So yeah.
2: Well, that's one place. That's
1: place. <laughs> everywhere.
3: <laughs> They're everywhere.
1: No, <laughs> they're, they're so useful. It's like so funny how they, they we adopted them during this time. It's like when I was traveling to Asia a lot for Anheuser-Busch, if you, you go to uh, Korea or you know, China, QR codes are a standard way of life. They've been a standard way of life. You could not, I could not do an event because I used to, have to throw beer festivals in Korea a lot. And you can do an event without QR codes. Like every place had a, like every table had a QR code, every stand had a QR code. It's so- like thing. So we have finally come on board because it's great. It's so much information you can get just by pulling it up. It pulls up, up, you know, the website. It's such a simple thing. It took a pandemic for us to get on board. Of course. (laughs) And one of the things, I mean, I'm sure you've done it. It's like also tastes like I had to do a lot of research project for the off-premise. And I was asking literally just going into the store and started talking to people who worked at different retailers around the country. And, and, uh, you know, one of the, I think it was, I was out of Benny's and I was asking that, you know, what is the most impactful thing? You know, I was talking to one of the guys working on the floor. He said, "Tasting." He's like a salesperson coming in here and tasting us on that product. He's like coming into the store individually, hosting a little event, like a little like education thing and tasting us. He's like, those are probably, those are the products we sell. He's like the one where the buyer took the time, sat here, tasted us all, you know, Brought us some pizza, and you know, gave us a little like thirty minute like talk. He's like, "That's the ones we like," and I was like, "All right, noted." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Education is key. So uh, a lot of new things we're all learning this year, and most of us, the the retail was like a whole new, whole new world, and it definitely is very very different. All right, so I know, and Kayla, I know we talked about this, but I'm sure Gina, you've experienced this too. It's like you know, one of the biggest stressors for anybody, you know, is achieving your targets or your goals. So Kayla, I want you to start with this. Cause then you talked about like, this was something you worried about in the beginning and how you kind of handled it and kind of one of your best practices that you learned.
3: Yeah. I mean, it, you know, we were talking about getting thrown into so many different things in the beginning and it can be this just, just stressful. You're like, I, I'm not going to hit these goals. I don't even know what I'm doing yet. But my biggest thing for me, when I knew there were months where, you know, whether it was this year or a normal year that I wasn't going to hit all my goals. I think just being proactive about it and saying, I'm not going to be able to do this, but coming to them with a solution and never just saying I can't, but I can't do it this way. But how do we get to the same end goal that you know it whether it was okay, I'm not gonna sell eighty cases. That's just not gonna happen this month. I can sell forty this month and then we'll look to next month and maybe we can do double in a month that you know, things are better. We have more programming behind this, more dollars behind this. But I think the overarching idea is always having a solution and not just saying I can't or I won't and coming up with some other way to you know, meet your goal or find a mutual
1: point. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, Gina, do you have any? Uh...
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that...
2: when you first start as a brand ambassador, you, you don't have this option but hopefully you develop a great relationship with your manager and your team that you can develop a system where you sit down and create your goals together. Mm-hmm. I think that is so important and I know a lot of companies have really, you know, shifted to having people, you know, assess themselves at the end of the year, quarter, whatever it is. I I think that's great too, but I think it, it does need to, you know, go into a path of you really being part of that conversation because Mm -hmm. your manager has a better sight on the, you know, the company's goals and how you fit into that to achieve what you need to so that the company achieves what they need to. But you have a better side of what your strengths are and, and what you can execute really well. And and how much time it takes you to do things. You know, once you learn that about yourself, then working with your manager to set the goals and you set them together so that they are helping to push the company forward toward the overarching goals but they're also pushing you forward and, and setting you up for success.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. no, that's, so that's, that's really important. Yeah. yeah. Being able to set your own goals Because your boss sometimes, yeah, Kayla, sorry, go ahead.
3: Oh no, I was just saying, yeah, that my boss and I do that together. We'll sit around and write them for the year and you know, how does, how does this look? Does this feel comfortable? Does this feel like it's going to be impactful? So there's always conversations.
1: Yeah, no, I think that, yeah. that's a big one. It's like having that conversation and going back and forth because sometimes you're, you're right. Like you know your own strengths. You know what's part. problem You also know the market. You're in the street. So mm-hmm. you understand it better. So it's being able to have that honest conversation. It's like, I understand you want this many menu placements, but really right now, nobody's changing the menus. It's going to be mm-hmm. unrealistic for me to hit this in this month because there's like a few places or else there are a new account. It's not going to happen. It's probably going to be more towards the end of the quarter. Because that's generally the time frame. So giving them that picture and that perspective, and they hopefully will have that trust that you are, you know, sharing legitimate information. But you know, which they should if you have that great relationship. And yeah, and sometimes just breaking it down like that's not realistic. You know, I, I think Gina you know, and we were talking about like I had a key account list of like a hundred accounts, and you know, I was supposed to them all in a month, and I was like, that that's physically impossible. <laughs> like, and doing the math, like breaking the math down, they're like, oh, yeah, it's a good point. I'm like, yeah, it's just, I, I, even if I didn't sleep or eat, like it's just not going to happen. So, yeah, being realistic, sometimes you have to show them the big picture and be like, okay, this is what is achievable. This is why I want to do these. These are our priorities. I also think, I mean, what do you think about also taking being proactive as a brand ambassador and sitting in maybe some of the brand team meetings and asking, like, I would love to sit in the brand team meetings, like the planning meetings, so I have a better understanding for myself. What the goals are
2: mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's that's really important. Our team is so small and and we work so closely together that a lot of times the brand team you know because they're so focused on the Canadian domestic market, they come to us with like, you know what do you guys see? that the needs are, what's the direction, the market, the export market, which we in the U S are part of the export market for them. You know, where do you see this going? And they really take our feedback into account, which I think is is really important for everyone getting everyone on the same page and understanding why the brand team is going in that direction or why we want them to go in this direction instead of just pulling and tugging, you know, back and forth.
1: That's a good point. And Kayla, do you have the same? I mean, I know you're working you said very closely, but you're a brand team.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously, and then on the other side, we're a huge supplier, but we are very interwoven with the brand team. We have monthly calls with them. And just like Gina was saying, they really value the field feedback and see value in you know, what we're communicating up the ladder and assessing everything from our POS to the next year's brand plans that we're going to look at based on what we're seeing in the market and different countries so it's it's nice to have that connection with them because it just i think it helps us as much as it helps them
1: yeah i feel you anthony we really we, we um, you. now you just have to learn to say no <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> you know, i know you had to learn to say to, to say no no I, mean, I, I always tell people gina that like it was very different at the Asia working for the agency because you know when it were you there when it went to enthuse as well Uh, I departed when I went to it. Oh, okay. You departed because I found that, yeah, it's so funny. But as my role (laughs) grew, I had less and less connection with the brand teams. You know, it was, I used to be in those meetings and then I just wasn't. And I realized I should have been more proud and asked to be in the meetings because, you know, rather than waiting for them to ask me, I don't think they knew to ask me like to, to come into the meetings. But yeah, I think it's important because, I find there was a big disconnect from, especially at Diageo, from the brand ambassadors to the brand teams because we were so separated and it was, it was a very weird role and they probably could have benefited a lot more from that interaction. But I think you have to be proactive. And I realized, that, you know, having these conversations, like, you know what? I probably should have been a little more proactive on my own end just to like to make sure that, that happened rather than waiting for them. Yeah. yeah, I learn things all the time from having these conversations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So let's talk about, okay, so... You both have moved out of your traditional brand ambassador roles to more advanced roles in the com- with the company. So, Gina, can you tell us? You know, you started talking about it a little bit before about designing your own job. So, tell us, you know, your current role and how you got it, because it was a big change. Uh, yeah,
2: yes, it was a big change. So, you know, prior to this role, you crazy,
1: um, Anthony. <laughs>
2: <laughs> prior to this role, I was the Lot Forty National Ambassador. And basically, you know, Corby's contract with Pernod Ricard USA, they were the importer at that time, that contract ended, Corby decided to take the portfolio, split it between two importers, like I had said earlier, and still wanted this overarching category education and being the leaders of the category. So, you know, I... Had a few other opportunities, luckily, um, but I also, in my heart, felt like I had more work to do on Canadian Whiskey. I wanted to stay with the team and and with Canadian Whiskey, so I just went to them and proposed a job. I said, you need someone overseeing all of this. You're going to have two importers going, you know, in opposite directions. Who's connecting the dots here? Who's overseeing everything? So the director told me like, okay, write up a job description, tell me what those responsibilities would be and how you see this, how would you execute it? And I wrote up like a seven page PowerPoint presentation, job (laughs) description, (laughs) but they took me up on it and here
3: we are, you know?
2: That's,
1: that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, being able to write your own job is, is pretty. And as you get you grow in your career, it, it becomes kind of standard. Like, what would you like to do? <laughs> Which is really, really awesome. And Kayla, I know your job is really different, you know, and I know you have future goals for where you want to do in Brown Foreman. And Brown Foreman, one thing I think is really cool about the company, you're, I've interviewed a few brand ambassadors there, and so there's a lot of education that they provide to employees at Brown Foreman. So yeah, tell us a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's probably the same at other suppliers and other brands, but we have a lot of direct access to master distillers, master blenders, like direct lines of communication, and we do a lot of trainings with them. So it's straight from the source. So there's never any lapse in any sort of brand education, which is super helpful, obviously, for a multitude of reasons. But just in general, I think, you know, the community of Brown Foreman and our entire team the company itself has a really long tenure people don't leave there and there's probably a reason because they just create a really safe working environment everybody that i work with is amazing and we lost some of our team this last year and not because of furloughs really just some people moved on to different opportunities we lost our woodford ambassador johnny i don't know if he's on hi i miss you but, he, you know, he was with us forever, and he just went on to do other things. And so our team got really small this year. And so in addition to my role already being a lot of things, I think I became the Brown Foreman person in market. So obviously, Scotch, Single Waltz and slane are top of my list, but I've done a lot of Woodford this year. I'm still like the Old forester Point Contact in market, and working on boards, and just leveraging, you know, we have a great family of brands
1: and people, so... But I also know you work more like you're learning about how to be a brand manager because that's your goal, like to be a Yeah, I
3: would like to go on brand side. And my field marketing manager, she came from brand side and she's been with Brown Foreman for a long, long time. And she's really taken me under her wing. I think, you know, they really set us up to succeed in roles in Brown Foreman and help us stay in those positions for hopefully ever
1: so. Which is great. So they actually provide education platforms, right? Do you have a complimentary, like there's like schools or something? Or Yeah, or
3: we did like a lot of LinkedIn learning stuff and online courses throughout the pandemic. People who didn't have their CSS, they paid for that. Just a lot of, you know, they want us to continue education for whatever direction we might want to go. One of our local market managers, she's my communication guru. She's set up a development program for all of us like years ago and has followed up with it and just taken the time. So I hope to someday be that person for somebody else. I mean, it's been just to have people on your side the whole way and finding, and you know, Gina's a place like that too. Finding people who are on your side from the beginning and wishing you the best and wishing you success
1: is important. Yeah. And becoming an associate brand manager would be a big, I was saying, Gina, I was saying that I was like, you know, in some companies, that's not a possibility because you have to have your the master's degree and, and master's in marketing to get that done. So within Brown form that is a possibility, right, Kayla? Yes. Yeah. yeah, so for yourself, yeah. it's more about applying for that job, but also maybe getting the skill sets between now and then. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I know. So for our Jack Flavors, our associate brand manager came from one of our like consumer brand ambassador roles straight into that, and he's been in that role for a few years, and he's crushing it. And it's really about, You know, is this person good for the brand? And we were talking about, you know, brands go through evolutions as well. So maybe five years from now, you weren't a fit, but in five
1: years, you will be. No, which is is really great. Not every company has those kind of opportunities to go to those more, to cross over. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's a really impressive thing. Now, Gina, trust me, every time I learn about different companies, I'm always like, God, I see this theater for way too long. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, there are other companies that are best in their team a lot more. I can't complain. I actually had a great job. But all right. So let's talk about. All right. So Gina, I'm going to bring it up because you are a mom in the industry, uh, which there is a lot of people becoming moms these days. You know, when I became a mom, there was no other mom. Like I was the only one. I almost pretended I didn't have a kid half the time. Like the not cool thing to do. Not that having a kid is cool, but it, you know, but it's. It's not easy. So, and I know a lot of people actually worry. I was talking to Natasha Sophia and she's like, people mm. literally said to her like, oh, you're going to stay in the industry? Like after you have a kid? She's like, of course I'm going to stay in the industry. Like, I'm just having a kid. Like you, you like, you know, I'm not dying. Like, you know, uh, and I'm like, somebody asked you that? I was like, so, you know, yeah. How's it being? How's it like being balanced?
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: well, it's crazy. It's you know. great. It's great. It's, it's great. It's crazy. It's exhausting. You know, you, you're a mom as well, but you also yesterday on a, we had a little chat and you experienced my son, you know, me, me needing to leave our, our chat for potty breaks because we're yeah. doing that now, you know, so <laughs> you know, it's crazy. But when you work with such a great team of people that, understand and i'm very lucky because i work my whole team are canadians you know and beans are very family oriented for the most part society they get a year's worth of maternity leave i did not get that because i'm in the u.s but <laughs> uh, but they understand the value of family you know my son is two and before the pandemic he had attended San Antonio Cocktail Conference twice. He had attended Tales of the Co- Cocktail. He had attended Portland Cocktail Week. I mean, you do what you have to do. And, and if you want them, if you want it to work, you can make it work. Yeah. But but it, it is, you make a lot of adjustments in how you work and and the hours you work. You know, I can't be out past midnight. I got to be up at 5.30, 6 o'clock. Like, that's not going to work. Better you know? So, you know, you, you adjust, you make adjustments and, you know, when your team sees that your quality of work is not dropping and that you're still fully engaged, then there's no issues. You do your job just like everybody else and, and you make it
1: work. Yeah. I was going to say it it is, I, I gotta tell you, like, I used to bring Dylan with me to South Beach Brewing Wine, and, like, she came to Tails as well, and, you know, and I think, you know, I asked for his help, like, I negotiated with negotiation, like, I sat down with the Ciroc team, and I was, like, I was the only person working on Ciroc, and I was, like, they, they, you know, I was running all their programs, and I was, like, if you need me to go here, like, I need to take my kid with me, because there's nobody to watch her, like, there's just nobody, so, what? I was like, so I need to expense a nanny and like, like my aunt, I need to be able to bring my nanny and I need to be able to like cover her flight. Like I'll pay my nanny, but I just need you to cover her flights in the hotel room and whatever. And you know, but I had to ask, I asked the thing, I was like, I, this is what I need. Like I have no problem doing the job, but this is what I need to do it. And I, I know it's a big request, but you know, this is my thing. And I was very good. They gave it to me. They were like, we'll find room in the budget. You just, do what you have to do and, and yeah, my niece who was my babysitter flew with me to a lot of places. Uh and my daughter came along with me. And you do need a support. Honestly,
2: my next business is going to be a babysitting service at every cocktail festival for people traveling and needing <laughs> child care because
1: there's a lot more of them. I have
2: needed it. Yes. Yeah, I so have many. needed
1: it. There's so many. I've actually heard of people like sharing nannies when they get down, like the older like, mm-hmm. hey, sharing baby, sharing nanny. But there you can do it. You definitely you can still do this job. I think you obviously you can still work in the industry. You might adjust like being a normal brand ambassador and being out every night. Probably not the easiest, you know, balance. You might have to shift what your role is and how you are doing it. You know, somebody asked me once, like, how can I do being a normal brand ambassador being a mom? I'm like, you probably can't. It's really hard. Or you have to have a really good System at home, I was like, where they don't mind, that you're going to be out three or four nights a week, you know, and you just work around, you make it work. I was like, you know, it's just like, you figure it out, and you just schedule your life, your life becomes a schedule, everything about the schedule, and somebody you're already scheduling, you're already a handler. Now you need your own handler to make that happen. But it is possible to do both. It just, you know, it is an adjustment. Yeah. I was never the cool person. I could never be like, or be like, oh, we're going to go out for shots. We're gonna all be hanging out. This is like 2006, 2007. You know, the industry is just taking off and I'm trying to bond with all these people who I'm 10 years older than. So I'm already, and I'm like, yeah, I got to go home. I got to get up in the morning to like, you know, get my kid. you know, whatever. And they're like you're a mom. I'm like, yeah, I'm a mom. They're like, how old are you? <laughs> like, Doesn't matter. I just got to go. Doesn't
3: matter.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, was never, that was always an interesting conversation to have. Okay. So let's also talk about Kayla. You also, you have a wellness program that you also work on something, a program that you have built I know with other people in the industry. So I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah,
3: so I worked with a a local nonprofit that was focused on mental health for a couple of years and haven't for a while now. But the support staff, girls, Laura, Kelton, Moni, and Christina have developed this extension of kind of what they were hoping to do in the first place. It's a bartender, mental health, wellness industry, overall charity, and they're doing amazing things as women are. So fantastic. I can't even thank them enough. But they we just started, Laura and I were talking about these sweat sessions. I think we were talking about just like bartender movement in general. We did mm-hmm. our first one last week. But slain throughout the pandemic, I tried to do a series of education opportunities for people and industry folk that didn't want to just learn about alcohol. Because I feel like from brand perspective, it's always about the alcohol, and then the events become centered around that instead of it being a portion of the event. Mm -hmm. So we did barista classes, we did American Sign Language classes for a night of service, and just a couple of other one-offs. Like before, first thing, we had done a month of shred classes when we could do that just to do something different. I knew, you know, mental health in this industry is such a huge concern, and we've lost a lot of our friends over the past couple of years. So it's always just been something that's important to me in focusing on we have a pause program at Brown Foreman, which is just our responsibility messaging, but always incorporating that like we can drink, but we can drink responsibly. We can we don't have to over imbibe to have fun anymore. And just kind of setting that in quote bar that those days are kind of behind us as mm-hmm. an industry.
1: No, i think that's, that's such a, a, a great thing and and i was saying it's like i love like these days brand ambassadors can have platforms that they can help elevate and, and and the companies can help support them which is which is which is really really great and something this is a question i put out there because something i've been asking bartenders here in new york i was like are you going to be able to ever go back to four o'clock in the morning and they're like i don't think they can they can do it because they for a year now like even though it's been really stressful they're, they're going to they're closing at midnight, right? So they're closing the bar at midnight, you know, because that's when the curfew, for so a long time it was 10, then it was 11, then midnight. They're like, midnight's perfect. So, and they're like, I don't think I could do it. They're like, I have a life now. Like, you know, the mental the balance of like being able to have that life and uh, to be able to bar job. I mean, for you guys, if you have you had that conversation with Bart, like about, you know, in Chicago? I don't know what the curfew is in Chicago at the moment.
2: We're, we're fully open at
1: this point. What time do the bars close to?
2: I'm not up
3: that late. I don't know. <laughs> well, I did, see that <laughs> I did see that. the four AM licenses just got the green light. Whoever, I don't know. Yeah,
1: yeah. I
3: won't be. <laughs> no. I don't know. It's been interesting to have some conversations with people who are like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't want to go back unless I can find, you know, a, an eleven o'clock midnight bar." Because I'm getting sleep, I'm drinking water, I'm getting up in the morning and doing things, mm-hmm. having a
1: schedule. Yeah, I think it's going to be a big change. Well, I think because the consumer's gotten trained, and I think if we can just keep them trained to go out early, <laughs> so, you know, and then, like, the bars get full earlier. Because a lot reason we stayed open late, because, you know, when we when I was in my 20s, you didn't go out to 11, you know, right. and then the bars, so, like, the bars did get busy. So they did most of their business in 11 and 3 o'clock in the morning, because nobody went out till that time. But now it's like, You'll be the same amount of business between six and 12 because the consumer is now adjusted to, to going out earlier. So I think we have to. I told everybody, I said, You're going to have to put out like a world, like a national thing. Everybody's going to have to agree. The bars are going to close at maximum like two. We're all on board. And make make going out at seven really cool. Like being out at seven o'clock is the it time to be out, right? So I know it makes me feel cooler because I'm like I only go out at seven or eight o'clock and I'm be, I'm back by ten always now because I'm old. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm like so. I'm like oh, it's like cool right now. Everybody's here. The bar's busy. It's kind of nice. All right. So one of the last two questions I want to talk about. Is, let's talk about so whiskey. So being a you know learning about whiskey and education whiskey education is it's a lot it's a lot of information you know obviously from scotch to irish to bourbon to rise all you know you know and becoming an expert within a field is never easy it takes a lot of time and effort so kayla how so are you like what are some of the ways that you have how have you learned about whiskey like how did where did you get your skill set from
3: yeah i mean well brown foreman again we had have- such direct access to the master distillers we have we'd go down to Kentucky and meet with them and have really immersive trainings lots of reading I'm sure you guys know Heather Green I've read her book and looked to her a lot for a lot of information over the years and then asking local experts like just anybody you know that knows what they're talking about ask them to sit down and have an actual conversation so it's been a myriad of people before me, people after me. I'm still learning stuff from people who are just starting. So lots of, lots of people.
1: It's always people. people.
3: And lots of hands
1: on. I find going to the distillery itself can be really eye-opening. Yeah. Yeah. And I also took the WSET level three. That was also really eye-opening. Really (laughs) very, very intense. Have you taken it? No, I can't imagine. It, yeah, it is only random, but, but I was going to say, well, I, you know, Gina, I know you have done it all. Like you've done all of the certificates. So yeah, tell us the things you've well, done.
2: Well, I haven't done it all. There's more to, <laughs> there's more to do. There's always more to do. Yeah. I mean, Kayla's right. Like when you have an opportunity to, to sit down with an author, a distiller, a master blender, anybody who, you know, spends a significant amount of their time or all of their time on the subject or, or you know, producing whiskey in some way or researching history or whatever it is, talk to them, ask the questions. But, you know, that's not always possible. I, I was very lucky to go through a great training program when I worked... For the Diageo portfolio, I had I got a lot of certifications through through that program. A few that I would I I found a lot of.
1: What I just felt really, Sorry. Sorry, I mean, got you out. which ones would you recommend?
2: Yeah, so a few that I I felt were really helpful was the Bourbon stewardship or the executive Bourbon stewardship from Moonshine University. That's a really great one. They trap they. Take that on tour now. Their home is in Louisville, though. They've got a lot of other courses as well. They're very technically focused. Filson Society, if you're looking at American Whiskey, they're focused. Michael Beach has a course on, it's all on history. And he, any of his books are really great if you're looking at history references through the IBD. I got the General Certificate of Distillation. That's really great, but super intense, like... Set aside eight months of your life for that, because that's going to take all you got for eight months. There's a ton of great certifications. I wish I could tell you that there's a great certification for Canadian whiskey to take right now, but there isn't. However... Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) We've taken the last year to develop an online course. It's a four-week course that we are going to be, we are on the way to making a certification. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Coming soon, coming soon. Probably this fall, it it should be a Canadian whiskey certification.
1: That's pretty
3: awesome.
2: Yeah, there's there's a ton of great books to read, you know, a, a ton of great authors. Just immerse yourself. You know, I say, you know, if you're looking at one brand, don't immerse yourself in the brand, immerse yourself in the category mm-hmm. and then expand out to other categories. So you really understand how it fits into the whole, you know, scheme of everything.
1: And yeah, no, I think that's great advice. But yeah, it's like learning the fundamentals well, just understanding what fermentation is. Or distillation and how it works, and having that deep dive because then you can ask the right questions when you are sitting down with a distiller. Because every distiller is different. Like I remember sitting down with one distiller, and I realized he knew how to distill what he was distilling, but he didn't understand the science of it. Like he was really good at what he did. Like the one, but when I talked about like other, like he couldn't really break it down for me in a way that. In a consumer-friendly way, like where it made sense to me, like he could break it down to a mm-hmm. very scientific that made sense to him. So I think the more you know, the more you're able to break down more complex terms, so that yeah. other people mm-hmm. can digest them. And mm-hmm. every time you hear it, the more the easier it gets, and you're just like adding on that that knowledge with it. That's why when I took the WSET level three, that was really it was the first time I was like. Oh, it's probably the 20th time I've learned about, you know, or 50th or 100th time I've learned about distillation, but never to that level of like breaking down into the smaller parts. And it's really helped me understand the spirits in a, in a much deeper way, which has been really, really helpful. And once you have those fundamentals, every spirit kind of follows the same path. You know, they all have a raw material fermentation, you know, they all go through that. It makes it, you're kind of like just layering the information on after that. At least that's what I found in my experience.
3: Yeah. 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 And that's studying for the CSS. I felt like was a jumping point for a lot of people to learn about distillation. That's the workbooks on that are just a great starting point for this is what distillation is. These are the spirits, because I feel like with single malts too, especially a lot of people will like scotch, but not understand what sherry is or vice versa. So just Mm -hmm. diving in, like Gina said, not just one brand, but all spirits.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the actual category itself. No, that's great advice. All right, so I think we have shown a lot of key learnings but about one of the things in your career. If there's any last words of advice that you would like to give if somebody's a new brand ambassador or maybe they're only, you know, not as experienced brand ambassador out there, like, you know, one piece of advice, whatever it could be. It could be about expenses, presentations, things you've learned. You're like, this is something I learned. You should know this. And yeah.
3: Yeah. I know I'm like oh I gotta <laughs> there's so many but I think like mostly just have you know do your job but have fun I think a lot of my initial year like my first year was spent with a lot of stress and it just felt like I was trying to take on too much and now like my job is second nature I love my job I wake up every day and I'm grateful to work and enjoy going to work which I think is something that you know, not a lot of people get to say, unfortunately. So if you really make this, you know, you're being a brand ambassador is kind of your chance to make you, you're your own product. You're like selling yourself, you can become whatever you want to be in this field. So just have fun and try not to stress so much, I guess is my,
1: which is easier said than done. That's a great reason, but as you said as you before, it's, we're selling alcohol. It, you know, it's, it's they're, you're not you're not curing the world of anything. So yeah, you should have it should be a job that you really enjoy and have fun at. Gina?
2: I mean, I would say early is on time. You know, I think no matter what facet of this job you're talking about, whether it's getting your expense report in or you know. Being at an account or at a, tra- at a training at a specific time, whatever it is, early is on time. Uh, do not be late. That's yep. all that I can say. Do not be late. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think that's great. Because also being late is stressful. It's, uh, it, like, it is such a stressful, like being prepared, like prepare the day before for the thing you have the next day so that you're like not stressed out, like you can just kind of relax into it as much as you can because yeah, being late can make your life. I used to always be late. Now I try to to always be 15 minutes early, you know, or if something is due, like try to get in. Like I always schedule things like three days before they're actually due, and then I'll actually get it in on on time. But no, I think that's, those are all great words of advice. Well, ladies, this has been awesome. It's been really lovely to get to know you Kayla. It's been great to catch up with you and Gina. I I look forward to being able to see you as ladies in person one of these days. To have some whiskey, you know, at six o'clock when we're all before <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, in the, in the in that time. So hopefully, you know, something brings you here to New York or I'm going to Chicago, you know, trade shows might happen again. Think oh so.
3: God.
1: I, I think so. I think so. BCB is happening. I know. Yeah. I know. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to that. I, I will be there as soon as I can get on a plane. I, I Well, I don't even have to go on a plane. it's just to get on a train to go to BCG. But <laughs> mm. but uh, anyway, but thank you so much. It was really, really helpful. This will live on the Facebook page for the next two weeks. So feel free to share it anywhere. And I'll probably make a little clip and post and put it on Instagram tomorrow. But uh, thank you again for your time. This has okay, been great. Thanks. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thank you, Anthony, for tuning in.
0: Thank you for tuning in. Again, this is your host, Elaine Duff. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Celebrating the Brand Ambassador. If you did, please do me a solid. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, leave an excellent review, and share on your social media. Also, follow me at Duff on the Rocks to tune in to the live version of these shows every other week on Facebook, and say hi, or get a question answered by one of our guests. Lastly, if you want to learn more about my online Brand Ambassador Academy or to sign up for one-on-one coaching, head to my website, duffontherocks.com or beverageba.com. Until next time, this girl is out and an ice cold martini is calling my name. Cheers, everyone.